What's the most important thing we need to think about as we wrap up our year-long journey through the Bible? We started with Paradise Lost in Genesis and we'll end with Paradise Restored in Revelation. So should we focus on end-time prophecy or try to figure out exactly when Jesus will return? Hi, I'm Yvonne Prynne and welcome to Bible 805. There are many things we could focus on as we wrap up this year, but what I decided to talk about as we look back on what we've read and look forward to God's plans for us is to answer a question taken from a passage in 2 Peter where in light of Jesus' coming, he doesn't focus on the newspaper sensational details or any sort of predictive prophecy, but he asks, what manner of people ought we to be? Now, I came up with this topic in part because I had a slight change in plans as we finish up this journey through the Bible. I was actually going to take two weeks on it. Week one, I was going to talk about the pastoral letters and about the characteristics that should identify the followers of Jesus. And these books specifically talk about characteristics that relate to leaders, but the Global Leadership Conference reminds us, and I totally agree, that everybody is a leader. Some of us maybe just lead ourselves, we lead small groups, we lead a Sunday school class. Some of you may be leaders in a church or have a larger group, but we're all leaders, so all of these characteristics, these listings really apply to everybody. And in the second week, I was going to talk about the end of the story, where how in the final letters of John and the book of Revelation, we wrap up our reading of the Bible, and the sad tale of paradise lost in Genesis becomes the joy of paradise regained in Revelation, where God once again walks with his people. But our church schedule changed, and we are not having the Bible study, the Sunday school class that we usually do, in which I teach and I do this lesson. And so I had to actually combine the lessons for my Sunday school class, and that's what I prepare before I do the podcast. So I had to combine the lessons. But as I looked at it, I realized that this actually works out really well. Because when we look at the end of all things, what should inspire us and give us strength in our daily lives is how we look at how we should live based on that. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, gives the wonderful advice that we should begin with the end in mind. And that is such good advice for all of life. And I think that's really an appropriate way to end our chronological study of the Bible. This also fits in well with a consistent lesson that's taught in the pastoral epistles. And in 2 Peter 3, a key passage, Peter says that he wrote, wrote his letters, he says, quote, to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Now, I really like how the message translates this, where it says, he wrote this to hold your minds in a state of undistracted attention. Now, I really like that wording, because I think we do less for the Lord, more often not because of any intentional decision. We don't just think, well, I'm going to go out and sin today, or I'm going to put aside the things of God. We do it because we're distracted. And so holding our minds in a state of undistracted attention as it applies to the things of God is really an essential thing to do. Now Peter goes on to talk about in the book how people will make fun of our faith and if we share that we're living with the idea of Jesus coming back, 
we can expect mockery because, let's face it, thousands of years have gone by and he hasn't come back yet. But Peter goes on to say, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear in a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? This is a great question, and we all need to really think about it. He says then, he goes on and says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. And then a little bit later he says, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now here's what's important about the passage. The Lord is coming back. The details of the timing are not what's important. Jesus, earlier in the Gospels, he says, no one knows the day or the hour. It's foolish to dwell on timing. In part, we can't do anything about it. And Jesus says, you can't figure it out anyway. But how we're supposed to respond to the coming of Jesus, how we're supposed to live, that's what is important. And in Christianity 101, uh, Gilbert Belazikian talks about there's three characteristics of Jesus return that we need to keep in mind. It's what he calls, number one, an imminent event. That means it can happen at any time. Therefore, we should always be ready. It's an absolute event. It will be total in destruction, in the resurrection, in judgment, and in rewards. Nobody's going to be left out of this. And it will be a universal event. The entire world, the entire cosmos will know what is happening. Now, I strongly recommend reading Christianity 101. I think it's just an excellent discussion of last times, very biblical, very edifying. I I, I can't recommend it enough, and I'll have more about it on the website. But going on then, what kind of people should we be? You see, how we live matters. There's a little poem that you may remember. I've quoted it a number of times this year in conjunction with different things, but let me quote it again, where it says, You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do and the things that you say. People read what you write, distorted or true. What is the gospel according to you? You live out what you believe, whether you intend to or not. Now, the good news is we can always choose to rewrite some of our story. And how to do that, that's what we're going to talk be talking about today. And I hope I give you, maybe if your story isn't exactly what you want it to be, it should be one of increasing godliness. And Peter goes on with advice on how to do that. He says, for this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. And it's kind of interesting when you break it down and you look at the different characteristics. Uh, First of all, you know, you just need to be good, and then you need to learn some things. You add to that knowledge, and then to knowledge self-control. I mean, we can know all kinds of things, but if we don't apply self-control, it's not going to do us any good. And then to self-control, perseverance. I can stay away from things that I shouldn't eat for maybe an hour. (laughs) But uh, that doesn't do me any good in trying to lose weight. So I need to persevere. 
and then to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection and love. And I think he puts that in there because we need to be kind to people as we grow in godliness, or we could just become insufferable and and just dreadful, self-righteous people. But he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I really like this where he talks about how we need to make every effort. You see, so often we just think that the Christian life is just all these goodies that we're supposed to have. God's blessing, we don't go to hell, we have eternal life, all this. But he says, no, you are supposed to make an effort to live like your calling says you should live. So let's look a little bit more at some of the different things on how we can live in the light of Jesus' calling. Now, it isn't just in what's called the pastoral letters. There are just a number of things we're going to go through and sort of sample some different things that they say. But keep in mind, these aren't just good suggestions. This is how The Lord wants us to live, not only for ourselves, but for those around us that need to know our Savior. So let me just, I'm just pulling out some scattered applications, things that have meant a lot to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. First of all, on our identity. What we are is we're strangers and pilgrims. Hebrews 11 tells us that after discussing many of the Old Testament followers, where it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. In Hebrews 11.13, it goes on to say, strangers and pilgrims, foreigners, transients. That's how different translations pick out those terms. And they've just talked, the passage has just talked about Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham. It's going to talk about Moses and many others. And one of the things that's easy to forget about when we talk about some of these people is how they were taken out of their normal environments. They were taken often from their earthly home, told to go somewhere else without knowing where they were going. Remember, Abraham had no idea what he was heading towards. Moses really didn't know what it would mean to lead the people out of Egypt. All of these things, there were there were just lots of questions and they truly were strangers and pilgrims. And we use those terms to describe ourselves, but do we really believe it? Do we believe that it's true? When we truly look at a foreigner, a transient, people in our world, that's people who live with a certain detachment, knowing that they have no rights. This world isn't our home. We can't say that we belong here, we belong there. We belong in heaven, and that's what our focus should be. And we really need to reorient ourselves in many ways, realizing that that's what we need to focus on. If we want to check ourselves to see if we really are focused on heaven as our home, we need to look at ourselves and say, how at home are we here? 
what is truly important to us. What do we organize our schedules and our priorities and all sorts of things around? Are they around the things of heaven? Are they around the things that God wants us to do? Or just our little nest, our little world? Now, the Bible, of course, gives us lots and lots of advice on how to have our mind centered on the Lord. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is essential for us because, you know, we're not going to learn from anything else how we ought to live in a way that pleases God. So it's really important that we know what's in the Bible. The application for this is very obvious. Finish reading through the Bible this year and then next year start all over again. I do that every year and it has made such a difference in my life. One little tip that I might give you is perhaps in the next year try a different translation or listen to the Bible. The YouVersion app on your phone is a wonderful way to go through the Bible in the way that many people experienced it. You know, it's only in recent church history that people have had their own little Bible to read. Most of the people throughout the whole history of the church and of God's people listen to it. So I encourage you to do that. That's not a lesser way to take it in and can be very helpful. And then some advice for leaders, in other words, for all of us. We shouldn't be, it talks about in Titus, it says an overseer must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-disciplined, upright and holy. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. We need both the right doctrine, like it talks about in here, and right living. In theological terms, they talk about those two terms as orthodoxy, what you believe that's correct, and orthopraxy, that you practice what you preach. We must have all of them. Those two things are so important. Also, he goes on in Titus, and he talks about how the people should be obedient, ready to do what's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to be gentle towards everyone. And I wanted to just talk for a minute about this thing on slandering. You know, when we slander someone, when we say bad things about people, what we're really doing is we're judging them and we're putting ourselves in God's place and we shouldn't do that. Now, we can judge behavior in that if someone's doing something wrong, we have a responsibility to them to point it out, but we should point it out to that person, not going to everybody else and saying, do you know what so-and-so did? That isn't right. We are to help one another, to encourage one another. And then, too, um, in Second Timothy, it gives us examples of what it means to do well. Paul says to Timothy, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. 
the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. You see, here we have the example of a soldier who stays focused on his duty, an athlete who is focused on his training and competing according to the rules, a hard-working farmer. These are examples of single-minded dedication to a task. You see, we need to work on these things because Second Timothy 2.20 goes on to say that they are not all workers are evaluated the same way uh, by God. And in many ways, we choose how we are going to be measured. We choose what we're going to be. In 2 Timothy 2.20, it says, In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be made instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. You see, we can clean up ourselves. We can make ourselves useful to the Lord. He talks about, he says, he goes on to say, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And this Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. You see, we have a choice. It's never easy to be kind. It's a whole lot easier to be harsh, to be nasty, to just react to people. Kindness, though, takes control. It causes us to stop and think before we act. But remember, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he didn't do. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, Jesus focused on the joy that was before him. And that way he could endure all of the difficult things that he had to face. We need to do that. And remember, too, that it says we need to throw off what hinders and the sin that entangles us. And every one of us knows what that is in our own life. We know what things hold us back. We know what we need to get rid of. And maybe we just get rid of it bit by bit. Maybe we get some help. Maybe we join a group. Maybe we all, there's all kinds of things we might need to do. But we want to throw aside what hangs us up, what entangles us from being everything that the Lord wants us to be. We may need to edit some things in our lives. And I find that the more people progress, the more I progress, hopefully in godliness and in what God wants me to be, we kind of get into the fine-tuning of life. When we're first a Christian, oftentimes, you know, we get rid of really gross sins and and uh, just things that are really wrong. People know that they should be moral and that they shouldn't be getting drunk all the time and they shouldn't be doing terrible things 
things. But the more you grow in the Lord, it's little things that can distract us. Uh, one of the things that I know now I'm trying to work on is I get fixated with the evening news, you know, what's happening, or news feeds on the computer, or whatever. And that keeps me from sometimes doing some of the study and research I should be doing for my Bible studies. And so I have to really control myself and say, you know, I can just look at this now and, you know, just a little bit here and then, you know, put it away, turn off the television, go, you know, read the books that I need to read. Now, one thing that's very good is if we mess up, we can trust God to discipline us. We know undisciplined kids are just a terror and a sadness to all around them. And we don't want to be like that. But the Lord also doesn't want us to be like that. So he will discipline us when we do what's wrong. He says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And it says that he will discipline us and it's never never joyful. It's always painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness. So he says, you know, just kind of tough it out. You know, don't get discouraged. Be at peace. Make an effort to be holy. And and kind of an interesting way he ends this passage. He says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, our sin can touch others, can make other people defiled, can mess them up. So not only for ourselves and our growth, but we want to work hard to be godly people for the people that we love. And the effort in all of these things that I've talked about is so worth it. Let me go back to the verse that initially inspired this, but let me read it to you in the message translation. But when the day of God's judgment does come, it will be unannounced, like a thief. The sky will collapse with a thunderous bang, everything disintegrating in a huge conflagration, earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. Since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God eager for its arrival. The galaxies will burn up and the elephants will melt down that day, but we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heavens and the promised new earth, all landscaped with righteousness. So, my dear friends, since this is what you have to look forward to, do your very best to be found living at your best in purity and in peace. That is what we have to look forward to. That is what this whole year of reading the Bible leads us towards. And we can rejoice and we can be glad in it. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. They're in downloadable PDF format and the other materials at www.bible805.com. And while you're there, please do go there and sign up for the newsletter to keep informed of what's coming up with this podcast. We finished the year going through the Bible, and for now, my plan is to do some topical studies in the coming year. But I'm still praying and planning and thinking. Now, in preparing and teaching and doing the lessons in this podcast for the last year, 
I have to admit, I'm kind of exhausted. It's been a joy to do them, though, and I may need a little bit of rest, so I may take a few weeks off. I'm just not sure. I, I haven't decided exactly yet, but I will be coming back and doing it, and I've got some lessons that I actually put together for my class that I didn't get uh, recorded for the podcast that I really want to share with you. So I know there's a number of things coming up. But regardless of the podcast topics, be sure to continue with your Bible reading. Every year, I read through the Bible in chronological order, and it has been the core spiritual discipline of my life, and I'm going to be doing it again next year. I've grown so much from it, and I can't recommend it enough that you do that. There are schedules for you at www.bible805.com. Please download them and begin again next year. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.